Welcome to the first ever Dev Jams episode. This is a very exciting program that we've been working on here really tirelessly over at Cloudinary. And we're so excited to bring you this initial offering for what we hope will become a program with many episodes and many years of amazing content focused on our developer audience. My name is Sam Brace, and I'm the director of customer education for Cloudinary. And I will always be joined by the ever fabulous co-host of this program, Becky Peltz. Hey, yeah, I'm Becky Peltz, and I'm an instructional designer. I work with Sam in customer education, and I do some teaching through the Cloudinary Academy. And I am really excited to be here too. We've seen so many great projects that customers have put together and just look for a way that we could showcase them and just kind of share our awe at what's going on out there. And what's great about what this program will ultimately offer is now you can see me and Becky, we're really tied. We're obviously very, very tied to customer education at the company since we're leading a lot of the initiatives, as Becky mentioned, with the Cloudinary Academy, it's classes, it's courses, the tutorials, even sometimes answering customers in tickets that we send over to our support team. But what we had seen is that over the past year, when me and Becky were working on projects together, we really started to see that there were so many amazing projects that users like you are developing with Cloudinary. And we're like, wow, this is inspiring. This is so amazing to see that people are able to take this functionality that we provide with uploading or managing or transforming and delivering images and videos all the way to do something just completely out of the box, completely unexpected, or just done in a very efficient way. And so ultimately that's what this program is, is we're shining a light on the user community and saying, what are you doing with Cloudinary that is special, it's unique, and ultimately other users should know. And that's what Dev Jams is going to be all about. So this episode and every episode after it, you're gonna to get to hear from users like you about ways that they've implemented code, way that they've built and worked with our SDKs, with our APIs, and done amazing things with it. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that, that we are going to be talking to people from all different backgrounds and all different levels of expertise. And it's kind of amazing to see that people who are even new to the profession are doing incredible things, innovative things using these new technologies, especially what Cloudinary offers in terms of image and video. And so everybody that you're going to be hearing from over the course of this program, they're not necessarily going to be the most prolific developer that's constantly doing keynotes at every big conference. They're going to be people like you that maybe are just using the free tier of what Cloudinary provides, but they want to do something interesting. Or maybe it's that first initial student project and they did something groundbreaking with it without maybe even realizing that it was groundbreaking. We're going to be talking with all shapes and sizes of people that are ultimately using this. The only really common denominator that you're going to find when it comes to the overall users that we're going to be talking to as part of this program, those are going to be people that see themselves as developers or frankly, just enjoy working with Cloudinary in some form of a programmatic way. So 
In many cases, we're going to be going through lines of code. We're going to be showing more of the technical details of how they accomplished a certain task or ultimately implemented a certain project. But if you see yourself as a developer, especially one that's wanted to learn how to work with images or videos in a more programmatic way, I think you're going to find a lot of wonderful nuggets of knowledge as you watch this program and every program we're going to lease as part of the DevJams initiative. Yeah, and you know, as Sam, as you mentioned that both of us work on the support desk, we take tickets, answer questions, and we have seen questions come up about using Cloudinary in a Jamstack in some of the, you know, front-end frameworks. And I think that seeing people implement with these and looking at the code and following the path of data through their application, it's going to be very instructive. So I think it'll help people to get a kickstart and get ahead a little bit on using Jamstack, using many of the frameworks with Cloudinary. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. So for this first episode, we talked with Hannah. Now, Hannah is someone that ultimately transitioned and pivoted her career. She went from being somebody that was working at a creative and marketing-focused agency, and now she's going into software development. And what was great is when she ultimately was going through her instruction at Flatiron School, she was able to develop a really great final project where she was able to go and control a video that's part of her overall app. And she was able to do it with voice commands that she programmed. And of course, all of that video is being delivered with Cloudinary. So once we saw the project released and we saw all the details that she put out on a wonderful post that we have in the show links that she put out on medium.com, it's definitely one of those cases where we had to stop everything and say, let's have a chance to talk to you because what she did, especially because this is really her first big project out of the gate when it comes to her software development career, it was a slam dunk in my opinion. So that's going to be ultimately the focus of today's program. Yeah, and I mean, I'd like to just summarize it like, oh, look what a student can do with this technology. But it's even more than that. This is like, if you look at this project, you'll see somebody who saw a problem in the real world and then solved it using technology, using Cloudinary. And I think it's very innovative. And so very happy to share this project. So stick around, watch the full discussion between Hannah, Becky, and me and then we'll tie it all up and give you some more details about how you can watch the next episode and well as some key takeaways from the discussion that we have hannah welcome to the show thank you it's good to be here so for those of you that you know maybe haven't read the article that you put out on medium.com maybe aren't completely familiar with who you are let our audience know just a little bit about you a little bit about hannah what what brought you over to developing things like what we're going to be talking about here today? Yeah, sure. Really, I started out in the design industry. I worked for five years at an event production agency and worked my way up from a designer to creative manager and producer. And so I really focused on project management, design. And then I always knew I wanted to code. So I finally took the jump earlier this year and went to a coding boot camp to learn, you know, different languages and get my feet wet into coding. So now I just am hoping to combine all of those. I really want to 
use my creativity with digital and kind of build some some cool solutions. It, it, it's such a leap sometimes. I mean, I, I obviously have seen many people do exactly what you're saying. So I'm not saying it's an anomaly, but going from event management to software development, there there's not a lot of similarity there. I mean, except for the fact that maybe there's both things that are both interesting to you, but how, what sparked that? What is the thing that ultimately made you decide, okay, I love coding or I love working with software. Was there a moment that basically said, I want to shift or pivot from what I've been doing from X to Y? Um, I think that I reached a point where I felt really comfortable with, you know, creative and management. And I loved that, but I really do also have a technical side that I love. And I wanted to go more into that tech and coding is obviously getting really big right now and it's really growing the industry is just i mean it's definitely growing like crazy so i just wanted to get into that and and kind of bring my previous skill set into coding kind of have a unique perspective it's just kind of interested and so you have a perspective that a lot of developers might not have which is that design background and i'm just curious how you see the working in design and working in software engineering say how that feels to you is it a similar kind of creative process is it got the same kind of discipline it's a little different in the sense that with coding i've had to get used to failure much more. <laughs> um, I have to become comfortable with things breaking and things not working and know that that's a normal part of the process. Other than that, I mean, I think strategically and creatively thinking of how to build an app and how to design something that users, you know, want to use and are comfortable using I feel like that all kind of goes hand in hand. Well, I think it's kind of that, I know I'm not a designer, I'm more of a coder, but that kind of needing to break things down into little pieces and then put them together again, I would imagine they do that in creative work. But it seems like in creative work, you also have to sort of like come up with new things a lot. Whereas in coding, we're like trying to like make things all kind of the same sometimes, you know, set up templates and things. And when people see your project, it's to me a very unique and out of the box thinking type of project. So I'm wondering if your design background contributed to that. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that just the way I think and the way I've been trained to think strategically and and with a design eye i think definitely helped because i was specifically trying to solve a problem that i hadn't seen solved before so i think with my thought process and how i actually apply my skill set there's definitely a connection there so with all of that then you eventually ended up at boot camp like you're talking about tell us about boot camp where were you at what was it like so I went to Flatiron School. It was very intensive. It was, um, I was in the fellowship program. I was given a scholarship to go. So that was great. It was a slightly longer program. It was about 19 weeks of just dedicated nine to six, um, constantly either working through labs and reading material to learn or actually applying it and doing a lot of little code challenges and many projects throughout, as well as pair programming, 
you know, learning how to use APIs, learning styling on the side. There was just really a lot of different things that we were learning all in just a short 19 weeks. <laughs> it was a great experience. It was definitely challenging, but in the end, very rewarding. I've had some experience with boot camps and I've seen students work through them. It is a lot of long hours and very intense. And you're kind of like stepping outside of a normal work life and, you know, living, work, living to, to go into that. And how did you find that? Because I think sometimes software engineering, the practice of it is like that too, where you get called in on a project where you have to dedicate huge amounts of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely very intensive. I mean, it was hard to do the long hours, but honestly, given what's been going on in the world and among all the negative that's happening, the fact that I was quarantining and could kind of focus on coding and learning, I think that was to my advantage for sure. So it was a great experience. It gave me something to focus on. <laughs> Yeah. So the project we're ultimately going to be talking about here, was this your capstone project? This like the, the thing that you ultimately were working all the way up to, or like, was this something that was more put in? like, was this one of those many projects that you just mentioned? So this was my big solo project, basically encompassing everything I learned from the program. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to see what we're going on here. So talk to us about the project. What is this from a high level? Sure. Um, the app is called Food Feed. I basically was inspired by other recipe apps like Tasty, for example, where they give recipes, they have walkthrough videos. Um, I wanted to do something like that, but the main focus of mine was to solve a problem that none of those other recipe apps solve, which is being able to actually use the app while you're cooking and follow along really seamlessly and easily without having to stop what you're doing, you know, clean off your hands while you're cooking. So ultimately that was my main goal was to solve a problem and build this recipe app around that. And honestly, that's exactly the reason why I immediately stood up. I was like, this is a great project because <laughs> as someone that works a lot in the kitchen, the one thing that I constantly find is that my hands are dirty. I've recovered in dough, I've recovered in oil. And then I'm like, oh no, what's step two? And I'm like, oh no, I'm <laughs> going to get my phone dirty. I'm going to get the book dirty or whatever I'm using. And it's one of those things where you're like, what do I do? Do I constantly just wash and wash and wash? Or do I just sacrifice and be like, ah, it's okay. There's a little bit of oil on it. And what's interesting is when I describe this project to other people that know nothing about software development at all, I've just been like, hey, I'm going to do this interview with Hannah. And I've been talking about what it is. When I explain the product to them at a very high level, just like you did, they're like, oh, so I don't have to worry about my dirty hands. So you, you hit it right on the money, Hannah. There's a lot of people that ultimately in the kitchen that need this thing. So wonderful well, work understanding that you have an audience for your project here. You know, I actually have described this project to people too, and I don't work in the kitchen that much, but it's so unique to have an app, a, a video control with speech, the ability to like say stop, start to your video that could be used for like software developers because we're often watching videos and coding along with things, but you know, you're like having to go click this on, click this off, you know, so 
I see your app as really、uh, very innovative. And when I told somebody about it, they said, Well, could this be done in, in Alexa or something? And, and I said, It doesn't need to be. She's got it running in a browser. So, you know, it's like really a neat, a neat app. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I, I, that's kind of the direction I was going with it, too. It wasn't so much that it was specifically a recipe app. I think that. As you said, it could be used in so many different scenarios where your hands are tied and you just need to use this hands free. Yeah, I'm glad that it translates. <laughs> But it's nice to get those recipes too, because I saw、oh, that you had some good、true. recipes. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's start, start getting into the guts of this situation here. So, What is the ultimate stack that's behind this? Like, how is this thing being powered? What did you do to ultimately start building this app out? Yeah, sure. So, the app is built with a React front end.、Um, I used a Rails back end with a Postgres database. And then、um, basically, I just styled it using custom CSS and a few components from Semantic UI, but otherwise, completely custom. So, why did you choose React? I chose React because honestly, it was just the last、uh, language we learned or framework that we learned in our program. And I just wanted more practice with it. I wanted to become more comfortable. And just having the structure of how React works was helpful to me for building this project. It definitely is a popular kid in the, the overall framework world right now. I mean, me and Becky have constantly been looking at what are people building and developing with right now. So it definitely is an area where there's, there's a lot of benefits to not only doing it with React because for several different reasons, but also just the fact that you have such a growing community of developers that can ultimately be helping you and working together. And there's probably lots of good articles out there. So it makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of the Rails backend, of course, this is tied to Ruby and all these other things that are tied to this. Why did you choose Rails for the backend and server side functions? So, Rails was really the main one we focused on in our program. And so I was really comfortable with it.、Um, really, I just needed it as an API, I just needed my data that I was accessing. So, it was just super simple and, and seamless for me, having known it already. And so then ultimately, so you've got, you've got your React, you've got your Rails. How did you ultimately get to the decision on using something like Cloudinary for the video components of this app? Yeah, that's actually really interesting. All throughout the program, it was recommended to me. I had heard actually it was recommended to others. So I think that, first of all, because the documentation is amazing, which I learned firsthand, but、um, I think that it's a really great tool. For any developers, but especially me as a beginner, kind of learning, it was really helpful and really easy to use. So、um, that was really why I stuck with it. It was, it was exactly what I needed. I needed the media upload and storage. And there's so much more to it that I didn't even use, but that I know moving forward would be really useful. So、um, that's how, how it landed. How did you find integrating it with React? Did it? Fall together pretty easily for you? Yeah, definitely. I was tinkering with it a little bit to make sure, like, for example, I was uploading it to the correct folder within Cloudinary. So I needed, you know, the correct params there, but little things that I just needed to kind of play around with until it worked. So yeah, it, it was super easy with React. 
And then we've talked about the voice component of this, where we, we've alluded to just what that, that ultimately does. How is that being handled within something like this? Is this like where you're utilizing a separate browser speech API? Or is this something that's more native to something else? So I used their web speech API. I was doing a lot of research into how to integrate voice command and trying to find it specifically with video, which I didn't find. But in general, with voice command, just being able to to find a way to access basically the transcript of what a person is saying and what the computer's picking up. Um, Web speech API was one that I saw and they had a React hook that was really easy to import directly into React. So um, it ended up working out perfectly using that API. This could have been a real challenge to integrate one of these browser APIs with one of the front-end frameworks. So you were able to find a hook that could make that smoother, I take it. Yeah, exactly. Basically, the API gives you access to that transcript of what you're saying so that then I took and could set up specific keywords for the, the computer to listen for from that transcript and then act on it with, you know, calling a specific function if it hears that word. When I saw your code, when we talked previously, that was what was really impressive is that you were able to just create your own language sort of out of parsing this transcript. How did that come about though? Like sometimes that putting together of different pieces of software, it's like, okay, you know, do you have a grand plan up front, a big strategy, or is it somewhat more organic where you just kind of like try things and then, you know, kind of look at what the data looks like after you put two things together? <laughs> yeah, definitely more organic. It was nice having the React hook because there was good documentation on how to integrate that and how to basically set up what commands you want to listen for. And then really the tough part was integrating that with accessing the video and what commands you have to actually control the video. That was really the hardest part to figure out. And basically there are, what I found in my research was there are built-in functions for a video and I just had to find what those were. So to be able to play, pause, you know, all the different controls. There was one resource I found where a button on a page would control the video. So I kind of inspected that, found what the different functions were that was actually controlling the video. And I found that and then was able to kind of combine it with the speech recognition API and what I needed to set up as far as commands and actually functions to call when that command word is heard. And when you're actually running the video on your web page, you are using HTML5 video tag? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That, that's, yeah. So, so you're really integrating a lot of different browser APIs here. You've got the speech recognition, you've got speech synthesis, you've got the video controls. So a lot of things going on. So it's kind of fun to look at your code and see how you were able to put this all together on one page. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to come up with too, because it, I hadn't seen it. You know, I saw three different resources that kind of brought me in the right direction. But then that was kind of my inspiration behind writing my 
the latest blog that we're that we're discussing here because it kind of laid it out more specifically for this type of case. So I feel like at this point it'd be great for our audience to see everything behind this. So let's take the time to show some of the code, some of the things that are behind this project. You want to start by running the project so we can kind of see it in action. Yeah, I figured I'd kind of walk through the main user functionality and then I'll go into the code and talk through kind of how that's working. Here's just the home page. You can either sign up or log in. I will just log into my account and takes you to the home page. I wrote my little mission statement here and then we can access all of the recipes. So these I just hard-coded for my purposes of having a project to show and kind of testing. But basically, when you click into a recipe, it has the video, it has the ingredients, directions, kind of standard. And then this voice command button, I'll show you how it works in a minute, but that's kind of the main feature here. So let's go back. And as a new user or a user logging in, I can add a recipe. And that brings up this form here. So I will bring in, I have a sample recipe from Tasty that I'm using because they have some great content. So for speed of, of showing this, I'm just gonna use one of their recipes here. <laughs> and I kind of built this so that it's really simple for users to build what they need. So I started with just one ingredient field and then there's these, it's a dynamic form so they can add as many fields as they need. I can see how this would be real helpful for a user because they could also copy and paste. Like if they had an email with a recipe in it, they could just copy and paste it right in here. Definitely. Wanted this to be very user friendly. That was number one here. Okay, so once they input all their data, then they can hit submit and here it is uploading. So this was another thing just new to working with video. I was just confused about the time it took to upload. Obviously it takes time to upload into Cloudinary and then send back a response. So I made sure to have that little loading bar to know so the user knew it was just uploading. So then here it is, we can click in, you can see the new ingredients, the directions, and the video here. So now I'll just show really every time a recipe is created that voice command feature is built in already. So if we turn on voice command, you can see up here that it's listening basically. So if you did this the first time, you might have to give it permission then, I take it. Yes, yes. So really I set up all the main functions and I'll kind of go through them now. Mute. So you can see it toggled that to mute. Play. Here we go. <laughs> and then, um, Pause. Fast That's forward. Great. Sorry to interrupt, but I just love the way that you can stop that. <laughs> um, fast forward. Rewind. 
So that's basically, and then you can turn it off when you're done. So I figured fast forward, rewind, if you miss something, or if you want to jump forward a little bit, you can play, pause, mute, unmute. So kind of just the main functions are what I built in here, but there's definitely a lot more that you could do. So now I'll just show the code and kind of walk through how that works. So specifically for the voice control, I'll just show you here. Basically, in my return statement, you can see <clears throat> I have the title, the author, and then I have this section here where I am seeing if the user who's logged in is the same as the user who created the recipe, you get additional functionality. It shows up with the edit and delete buttons. So you can edit the, your recipe that you created, but those won't show up if it's somebody else's recipe, of course. Then we go down here and here's my video tag for inputting the video for that recipe object. And then here I have a toggle. <clears throat> I wanted to create a toggle for the button. So within state, I created this voice on Boolean. So if it's true, then it means your voice control, it's listening, your computer's listening and picking up the transcript. And if it's false, it means it's not listening. So if it's false, the button that shows up is turn on voice command and it calls this listen function. The listen function basically turns on that speech recognition. You have to call this start listening on it and it basically turns it on. So the computer will start basically tracking the transcript and listening for the specific commands that you set up. And I'll show you that in a minute. Then you can see for the other, if, if, voice on is turned on and voice command is turned on already, then the button that will show up is turn off voice command. And so you kind of saw that change when I clicked the button before. So it will call this stop listening, which will turn off the speech recognition basically. So that's the main voice button. And then I'll show you up here how we actually set it up. So first I had to access the video itself in the page. I created this variable video that basically accesses the DOM and finds the video element. Then basically, if you follow along in my blog, you'll see what was required for this React hook, but you need to set up your commands and they're all an object. So within each command object, you need to list what the command is that it's listening for. So it's, you have to put in a string here. So this is, you can see play, pause, rewind, fast forward. So that those are the commands you want your computer to listen for. And then you input this callback function. And this is where I actually used the video element and called these functions that are built in with the video. Those are the ones I found. So you can play, you can pause, you set the video's current time you subtract, you can, you can really customize this. I wanted 10 seconds. You can either subtract or add, and then you set muted to true or false. And so those were really my 
commands that I set up here, which then once you call this use speech recognition, that's where you input the array of commands. So just to focus on this a little bit, because basically what you've done is created uh, a mapping of commands to functions. And I think one of the hardest things that I've encountered in, in working with browser APIs is that it's all very event-driven, a lot of callbacks, and sometimes it can be difficult to organize the code. But it looks like you came up with kind of a set of functionality that you wanted to be able to do with this video player or this video t that you had. How did you come up with this list of functions? Well, really, I just, at least for my initial setup, I wanted the main functions that I knew users would need. So obviously play and pause so that they could stop and start whenever is you know, best for them as they're cooking. And then rewind I knew was important because I always miss things and need to go back. So I figured 10 seconds was a good amount of time to go back and re-listen to one of the instruction sections. And then mute and unmute for me was useful because as I've been testing this, it's through Zoom and it picks up all the noise. So if the video was on loud, I don't think it would hear me um, just because of Zoom. And also, you know, there's loud music playing. Sometimes when people are cooking, they don't really need that background sound. So really, I just was thinking of the user and what the most important functions were that they would need to use. Yeah, I think you you captured it really well and it's it's so neat to see code that is that is so readable, you know, that you can, you know, really see what's going to happen here. And that's another thing which the documentation for this React hook was really great. It kind of helped lay out the different sections of what I needed and go in an order where, you know, first you find the video and that's what you're going to input into here. And then here's the commands section. And once you set that up, then you'll input that into here. I think the organization of just making sure I had what I needed before I actually moved on to the next portion, and it kind of breaks it apart in a way that's really readable and easy to follow. That was definitely my approach when putting this together. Now that we can see how the voice mechanisms work for video once it's gotten its way to the app, one of the areas that I'd love to look into a little bit more as well is when you showed the upload form and getting that video initially into the app itself, talk through those steps. Like what, what did ultimately do you have happening on the back end to get that into Cloudinary? Sure. So just first on the front end, obviously the form that I created is right here and I'm sending this post request with the recipe object that the user is inputting. So that's kind of all this here. Then we can bring you to the back end. Here is my create function that I defined. So it takes basically the params, what I what was sent from the front end, the image and the video are pulled out and I use this Cloudinary uploader and then input into the upload function, the image itself and the video. And then there were specific params that I needed to include um, this, the folder. So I wanted to direct it to a specific folder within my Cloudinary account. And then 
for a video, you needed to specifically call out the resource type that it's a video because the default is an image. So that is basically the interaction with Cloudinary. And then I can pull up here. You can see I'm within that food feed folder. And here's the video and, and image that was uploaded. So it goes directly into whatever folder you de designate right here within the params. And one of the things that I'm seeing that you did was actually really smart was that if you take a look back at the management console, how all of your videos and other files, they have this random naming to them. And that's such a good use case for user-generated content because in many cases, you might have someone saying like recipe video, or they might have just similar names. You don't want things being overwritten in your app. So this guarantees that everything's being treated as unique. So that was definitely a good thing that you did with your setup. Yeah, definitely. And just to call out, there's a duplicate because I've been practicing, you know, as I've used the app, I uploaded the same recipe, but it only uploaded this one this time. Well, and that emphasizes the point that if, if you had videos that were named like flatbread video, you could be accidentally overwriting each other in that case, if you're saying respect whatever it was called locally for the file name storage. So I yeah. think- that's definitely, it, it, in some ways, it, that point that you see duplicates in there articulates that this was actually a good call on your part. Yeah, and, and then you must, you, you mentioned earlier in talking about the stack you're using Postgres, that you are taking those names in the response and putting them in your database. How does that work in your code? How do you get that response and load it up to the database? Yeah, sure. So basically... From here, I, let's see. Okay, in this recipe, I call recipe.create and for the image and the video, the image variable here that I created, once I called this upload, Cloudinary gives a response that includes the URL and includes some other data from Cloudinary. And all I needed was the URL to access that image and access that video on the, on the app. I called the image object and then specified that I needed the URL here. That's how I basically took this image variable that I created through Cloudinary and then I input them here into this image and video parameters so that it would then send to right here is where I, I send the recipe back to the front end. And then that is what creates the recipe object. So you basically have kind of a, a layer there between Cloudinary and your database and your database and your app so that you can just kind of manage all of that independently. Uh, so then, when you go to render this recipe, how does that work for you like to get the data back out? You can kind of see that here. This fetch request is where I'm actually sending the data from the form that the user input, um, sending it to the back end. We just went through kind of what happens on the back end. When the response is sent back, I have this new recipe object here and I render the new recipe. This is a function that I created within the parent uh, component, the recipe container. So I'm inputting basically, I'm taking the previous state of this, of the recipes 
object and I'm adding this new recipe to the beginning and then basically setting the form to be blank again. And then that's what is showing up in the recipe container. It brings up that new recipe card. So I have here the recipe card and it inputs all of that information from the actual recipe. So the actual image is right here. The title, that's what shows on the main page here. So that recipe image data is basically the URL of the image from Cloudinary? Yes, the data that's sent back is the URL that will actually show the image and the video right here. So we saw you upload and you you preface the upload by saying this is going to take a really long time because it has video, but it actually, for all of that work that you did there between capturing it, sending it up to Cloudinary, getting the URL, sending it to the database, pulling it all back and rendering it, it went pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, for a 54 definitely. second video, that was pretty quick. Mm -hmm. I did look into different features within Cloudinary, like chunked upload, for example, if the video had been over 100 megabytes, then I could have used something like that. But luckily, at least all the videos I was working with for practicing were under that. But there are definitely a lot of features within Cloudinary that I could utilize as I scale this and as I kind of finalize the app that would help with users actually uploading their own content because we can't really control what they're putting in and, and what the file size is. But luckily on Cloudinary, um, I, I saw that you can kind of control those things and set boundaries basically for the user upload. And you you learned this all from just reading docs. That is That is impressive. <laughs> One thing I learned is how to Google effectively <laughs> and how to look in, in the docs effectively. So, um, yeah, it was definitely helpful to have great documentation that I could refer to for any issues that came up. And it really was great walking through just how to integrate it with my specific case. So, yeah, it really worked. We're going to have lots of different types of developers of lots of different skill levels that are going to be watching this. One of the things that many times I know when we work with our developer audience, they always want to know like, well, what did you encounter that I need to know before I start doing something like this for my own purposes? Is there any roadblocks or is there any things that you ultimately were like, I didn't expect this, so I'm going to have to work around it. Anything like that, that you found when you were developing this app? Yeah, I definitely ran into a lot of roadblocks as you know, is typical with really building any app. But exactly. one of the things, I guess, specifically with working with video, um, like I said before, kind of accessing the controls of the video was what took me a while to figure out. And I'm hoping that by laying it out here and kind of showing people how to do it, it will be much simpler. But that took me a little while to kind of work with and figure out. Otherwise, really just the normal kind of test and it breaks and you test again and you try something else and it breaks really just that process of working through 
integrating with Cloudinary, working with the web speech API. And really it's different for every use case because you don't know how the variables are going to be working or be called or what functions you need it for. Really, those were the main issues that I came across. And now that I've worked through it and am sharing it, I hope it will help everyone. Just reading through the blog posts and this alone, it, it's been enlightening just for someone, even as like myself to be like, oh, if I were trying to do voice, now I understand I have kind of a, a template that I can ultimately work off of. So I agree. If, it, if, it, if we get nothing else out of this other than that, that's very, very helpful for sure. I really wanted to have this specific scenario written out and explained because I think that video is, I mean, videos everywhere. Everything has a video now because it's just more interactive and, and it's more useful for people. I think that being able to interact hands-free is important in a lot of scenarios and this can kind of help to walk through that process. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, video, I totally agree, is the thing now. We're going to experience so much of life through it. But in addition, I think that speech production and speech interpretation is equally there that, you know, we're not going to necessarily want to type all of our interactive commands. And so this kind of opens up the door to integrating two things that are really, really important right now. So, and, and I think speech too helps, you know, from an accessibility point of view, not everybody can type that fast or some people don't even want to type at all. So I think it's this adding the speech is a, a really great thing to do here. And another feature that I'm planning to add in that I'm working on now is basically another thing like we were talking about before, when your hands are occupied, you know, you can't necessarily scroll to see the next instruction. So I want to add commands for like read instructions and it will basically start with the first line and then you could say repeat or next. So that's something I want to add into this app to be a lot more useful too so that it can read to you the whole next step and you don't have to touch it and read it and scroll. So what are next steps for Hannah? Now that you've developed this app, it's still, of course, you're adding new things to it. Is there a product that you're working on now or are there things that you're trying to set up? I'm continuing to do different code challenges and keep practicing and learning, but I'm continuing to build this app. I have a lot of features that I want to build and basically make it a lot bigger than what it is right now even and deploy it. So those are some next steps for this project. And then I'm also just looking for a job. So since I graduated, I've been kind of working through building my resume, working on building my portfolio right now. So I'm looking for a new opportunity. And uh, other than that, yeah, just continuing to learn and practice. Amazing. So if someone wanted to look at this project and start to break it down, I, we're going to make sure that they have the pathways to get to your Medium article for sure. But is there any other places where you can see the other projects and other work that you've been doing? So that way they can maybe see ways that they can contribute to it or fork it or clone it or download all the things that, of course, you can do with projects. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to provide my GitHub link. So anyone can look at my GitHub and what I'm up to. And then um, this GitHub repo will also be available to fork this specific project. Otherwise, 
yeah, if there's any opportunities or if anyone wants to reach out and work on something, my email will be available here too. And my LinkedIn. So anyone can reach out to me directly. I'm happy to discuss working together or if it's for a job opportunity, I'm completely open to, you know, chatting. Now, one thing I did want to ask you about, because of course you, you made the leap, you went and you had a career, you had jobs and then you said, ultimately, I want to pivot. I want to move to software development. You took the jump, you went into a boot camp, and you absorbed everything you could. Guaranteed there's going to be at least one other person that's watching this that's in that exact same boat, but didn't make the leap yet. What mm-hmm. advice would you have for someone that's saying they want to move into a career software development? They want to take that first step based on someone that's done this very recently. What would you ultimately tell that person? A lot of people say, you know, go for it, jump in, just do it. And I'm all for that, but I think preparation and research is important. Before I knew how to code, I wanted to make sure I started learning some before I did a boot camp to make sure I actually liked it. So I used free code camp. There are a lot of other free resources online. I would recommend jumping in a little on your own first to see if it's what you think it is and, and to see if you actually like it. I'd also recommend reaching out to people if you see on LinkedIn or online. First of all, I'm available. I'd, I'm happy to talk, but if you have other contacts who have done the same thing or who are in the industry, have those conversations beforehand because it's much harder once you actually make that jump, realize you don't like it, and try to reverse and scramble and figure out what to do. Yes, I'd say go for it, do it, but first make sure it's what you want. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I completely agree. It's, I mean, not to completely use cooking analogies, but it is one of those cases where like, if you want to be a baker, you should probably make a cake first. So, (laughs) so I completely agree. Hannah, that's very, very good advice. Well, Hannah, thank you again for showing all of this to us. I think there's a lot that I've learned just looking at your project on how certain things can be done now with voice, with Cloudinary Video. It's great to be able to see this and hopefully some of our developer audiences are gonna be able to take some amazing insights for their next upcoming projects. So thank you again. Thank Thank you you so much. I am beyond impressed with what Hannah was able to accomplish, being able to build this app, do something that was truly creative in a way that she could have easily gone and just done something very simple, very vanilla for her her overall project, but she was able to take something that really was a real world problem and do something very interesting with it. Of course, luckily for us with Cloudinary. Now, Becky, what do you feel are the key takeaways from this episode? Yeah, well, it was interesting to see how she could take common kind of uh, stack frameworks, such as Ruby for the back end, React for the front end, and then bring in some cloud services, especially Cloudinary, to take care of video. She was able to do this, as she said, reading the docs and just kind of working through some of the uh, problems on her own. And I think that it makes it seem almost simple when she, the way she describes it. And we know any of us who've worked in this world that it's really not that simple, but she made it seem very doable. I also just so impressed with the idea that she came up with that, you know, hey, I'm looking at a video about 
baking or cooking and I need to be able to stop that video and restart it so that I can actually use my hands to do what the video is telling me to do. So I need kind of a hands-free video experience and I, why don't I just invent something that allows me to use my voice. And then she did a little research. She found out about using the browser APIs for speech synthesis and speech action. And she was able to incorporate that into her code. And really this is, again, just somebody being able to look at the world, see a problem, and turn it into an innovative application. Uh, even if you're not someone that needs it for cooking, let's just say you are a developer and you need your hands to code, but you want to watch a video and code along with it. This becomes, you know, possibly a way to do that using voice control with your video. So it was just really neat to see her combine Cloudinary into this full stack app and deliver it. And I definitely agree with what you're saying here, Becky, where her taking the time to do the research to try to find how to do the voice controls, I think even though ultimately that's not part of what Cloudinary provided, I mean, obviously the video delivery part, but the actual voice commands, those are outside of what Cloudinary offered in this. But I still feel like that's such an impressive thing because she took the time to do the research, go look through other blog posts, go look through other documentation to really figure out how to get that done in a very simple way. But it expands so much more versatility of the project because now she can find more ways to allow any user to be part of this. Plus, it also is something where, in many ways, this is a component that you can lift and put into other apps as long as you're having some type of video control or video component that's going to be part of it. So I, was, I think there's a lot that ultimately we can take away from this, but I love your summary of that. Now that we've watched this episode, and hopefully you enjoyed this, there are a few things that we ask of you. Take the time to go through the show notes if you have any links that you want to make sure that you're taking a look at that we referenced within this overall episode. We're going to have as many in there as possible. So that way, if you want to learn more about just boot camps and what Flatiron can offer, or if you want to go and start exploring what's available with Cloudinary, with React, with Ruby and Rails, all of that is in the show notes. Additionally, if you are watching this in the Cloudinary Academy, well, first of all, thank you. But also, if you take the time to share this episode after watching this and then notifying us that you have shared this by just sending an email to support at cloudinary.com, then we'll increase your plan by one credit. So that way you can get a little bit more leverage for all the transformations, the storage, the bandwidth that you ultimately want to start using for uploading, managing, and delivering those amazing assets that you have. So that's our way of thanking you for watching the episode, of course, and then telling your friends and family about it. If you are watching this on another channel, by all means, go ahead and like and subscribe in that area. So that way you're always notified when new episodes come out as well as just indicating us that you had an enjoyable experience. It means a lot to me, but of course it means a lot to our guests like Hannah to know that their projects are being seen and heard about around the world. It was really great working with her. She's very professional and she is available to answer questions directly about her project. So there will be some links that allow you to contact her and wonderful person to work with. And that's a wonderful point to make is that most of the places where this video will be able to be seen have the ability to have comments or testimonials. So if you just want to say, Hannah, good job, and that's it, 
by all means do that. This is a great way to praise such an up and coming developer that's going to be probably making more ripples in the field after today. And of course, in many ways with things that I can't even anticipate, maybe something interesting that we haven't even thought about. This is the type of talent that we're hopefully uncovering with programs like this. So thank you again for watching this episode of Dev Jams, and we hope to see you watching and learning at the next one.